As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. May your Holy Spirit shine in our hearts now through his word to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 671. And in your Bible, it's between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes, right about the middle of the Bible. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this morning. We've been considering a series through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And so we're going to read from verse 13 through verse 20, and that'll be our text for this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. And the clouds drop down the dew. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, We have been considering a series, as I said, through the book of Proverbs. And we find ourselves in our passage this morning kind of between two speeches. uh, Between two lectures that the father is giving uh, to his son. Uh, So we have kind of an interlude um, in the middle of two speeches. So the speech that we considered last week that spanned the first 12 verses, whose central theme was, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Uh, That was the central meaning of this, uh, the former speech by the Father. And there's another speech coming that will follow what we read this morning in verses 21 to 35. Uh, That will talk about the covenant obligations the son owes to his neighbors. Uh, So they'll have a lot of direction from the father to the son about how he is to live. And so we're kind of between these two speeches. Uh, There's something of an interlude going on here um, between these two speeches of the father. And between these two speeches, what does the father pause to do? Uh, He pauses to make sure his son is grasping the true value of wisdom. Um, It's crucial to everything the father will say to his son, uh, particularly crucial to the things he has just said and the things he will say, uh, but for the son to understand the value of wisdom. 
It's crucial to everything the Father has to say. And that's really the point of what the Father is doing here in the verses we just read. He's trying to communicate to his son the value of wisdom. And he does that once again by personifying wisdom. Uh, He's going to talk about wisdom as if she's a person. Uh, We might be able to talk about lady wisdom. And so, boys and girls, we're not talking about a real person. We're talking about an imaginary person. We're imagining that wisdom is a woman. And the father is doing that to make her more vivid. um, And then to show to the son her value. So he's sort of personifying her and then uh, promoting her as valuable to the son and showing the true value of wisdom. And that's what we're, we're seeing this morning, Lady Wisdom's true value. That's what the father is communicating to the son. And what, what is the value of wisdom? What does Lady Wisdom hold out to the son as a, as a promise? Um, what does she hold out to the son? Well, I think we can see three things going on in this passage. Uh, She promises happiness, she provides blessedness, and she produces fruitfulness. That's the value of Lady Wisdom. That's the value of wisdom as it comes to us in this passage. It promises happiness, it provides blessedness, and it produces fruitfulness. That's why wisdom is so valuable. Wisdom is valuable in the first place because it promises happiness. Uh, The first thing we see wisdom doing in our text in verse 13 is promising happiness. Um, Now, we might say, why do you say happiness? Doesn't it say, blessed is the one who finds wisdom? Uh, It does say that, and that's a perfectly good translation of that word. Uh, But that word in Hebrew can also be translated not blessed, but happy. Happy is the one. Uh, who gains wisdom, who finds wisdom and who gets understanding. Happy is the one who does that. Um, And that's because in Hebrew there are two words for blessing. One has more the sense of blessing bestowed. There might actually be more than two words. There's two that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, There's two that talk about wisdom. One talks about kind of the sense of blessing bestowed. The other talks about it in the sense of blessing enjoyed. And that's really the word that's being used here. That sense of who experiences this blessing, who enjoys this blessing, is happy. They're the one who has received divine favor. Uh, They are blessed in that sense. They have received divine favor, or as another person put it, they experience life optimally as the Creator intended. Um, Blessed, same word that begins Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners. Happy is the man who does this. They experience the blessing of God. That's what's being held out to us, that kind of happiness. Blessing enjoyed in fellowship with God. It's the happiness that can only really be experienced by living in a right relationship with God. Really be experienced by grace through faith under under the favor of God. That's the kind of happiness that's being held out to us. And if we understand it that way, we understand that that offering is offering us the best thing that can be offered. Everybody wants to be happy um, in, in that broad sense, but specifically in this spiritual sense of enjoying what it is to walk with our God, to be in a right relationship with Him, to experience the divine favor, God smiling upon His people. That's something everyone should want. And, and this passage is telling us how we might find that happiness. Gives us the roadmap for it. 
How do you find this happiness? Well, verse 13 tells us, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Um, This is a call to action. Um, It's a call to rather aggressive activity. That word for find is really to take it, reach out and take possession of it. Uh, the word from get is to go out and gain it, meet it and grab it. Um, these are these sort of aggressive calls to activity. We're to be going out and searching for wisdom. Um, not sitting around like a bump on a log waiting for it to fall on our heads. Uh, but going out to get it, seeking after it. There's a call here to go out and find it, to find the Lord's wisdom, to find the Lord's understanding. But there's not just a a call to God's people, there's a comfort here. A comfort here from knowing that those who seek will find it. It's not just a call to go chasing after something the way a dog chases after a car with no hope of catching it. Uh, This is a call to do something where you can find it. The promise is held out to us that those who seek it will find wisdom. That those who go looking for it will gain understanding. These are not goals that are beyond our reach. These are held out to us as things that we can reach out and take hold of. We can grasp these things. So these things are qualities that are within our reach. And the, and the greater news is not only are they within our reach, our ability to grasp, but they are great They're within our reach and their value is beyond all comparing. Uh, There's a wonderful comparison made. Why should we look for this blessing? Why should we look for this kind of happiness? Well, because the gain from it, what do we read in verses 14 and 15? The gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Um, That's good news because some of those things are beyond our reach. I don't know how much gold and silver and jewels you have that you're sitting on. Don't tell anyone. They might come for them. But some of those things are not within our reach. But what is the scripture telling us here? There's something within our reach that is more valuable than all of those things, more precious than gold, more valuable than silver, more value than jewels. One person put it, she can make you richer than anyone else ever could. Wisdom holds out a value. A value that this world can't hold out to us. The world will promise you all sorts of things, but they don't have that quality or that value of the kinds of things that God can offer. That's what's being drawn out of this passage to the Son. Wisdom is offering something that is far more valuable than any of those things that you can gain from the world. It's a different kind of value because it has not only a physical value, but a spiritual value. I like how one commentator put it, money can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. Money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can give a woman jewelry, but not the love she really wants. By contrast, wisdom gives both physical and spiritual benefits. In fact, what does this scripture say about wisdom in the second part of verse 15. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Maybe in that we hear hints of what Paul reminds us of in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. 
what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, You can't compare any of the values of this world with wisdom. Nothing you desire will compare with her. That's the promise of happiness that wisdom holds out to God's people. That's the value of wisdom that we are meant to see. Lady Wisdom holds out this promise of happiness and this promise of happiness that's tied to the blessedness she provides. And that's what the subsequent verses show, that not only does Lady Wisdom promise happiness, she provides blessedness. And the blessings she provides are likewise great. Uh, They're recounted for us in verses 16 through 18. The blessings that Lady Wisdom provides provides, we see first that she comes with blessings in her hands. The blessings in her hands we read about in verse 16. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Uh, The the significance of which hand those blessings are in um, is significant. I don't know if significances can be significant, but they are in this case. Um, When you hold something in your left hand, what does that mean? It means that it's great. It's a wonderful blessing. Um, But it's the blessing that's in the right hand that is the true blessing, the great blessing, the blessing above the other two, above the other one. Um, And I think this is interesting in the context of, of Proverbs because Solomon might be kind of doing a kind of apologetic against Egyptian wisdom because there was an Egyptian goddess of wisdom And she held two things in her hands. She held the ankh, the life sign, in her left hand. And she held the scepter in her right hand. The sign of the immovability of the heavens and the pillars of heaven and dominion. And when people saw that picture, what was that a picture of? Life is good. Dominion is great. Dominion is what you really want. Rule is what you really want. That was, the God, that was the picture of Egyptian wisdom. And what does Solomon come and do? He says, you know, that's a false picture of wisdom. You know what true wisdom is? It holds out in its left hand riches and honor. Those are good things. But what does it hold out in its right hand? Long life. Long life is in the right hand. Life lived not just for length of days, but length of days before the face of your God. Length of, your, length of days in right relationship with your God. Even if it's not an apologetic against Egyptian wisdom, it's a powerful statement of what God's people should really be after in this world. What are the true blessings of wisdom? I like how one commentator put it. There could hardly be a neater assessment of earthly blessings in Old Testament terms than this. Riches are gifts of the left hand, valued highly, but not unconditionally or supremely. Long life is from the right hand, is more than wealth, and wisdom as conferring them is greater than either. Wisdom has those things in her hands. And so Solomon may be making an apologetic against Egyptian Wisdom, but what he is certainly doing is saying, I know this by experience. Wisdom is the greatest thing and holds these blessings in her hands because that was his experience after he asked the Lord for wisdom. 
Remember when, when God offered Solomon that choice, anything you want, he chose wisdom. And what did God say about that choice in 1 Kings 3, 1, 11 through 14? And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or the riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself this understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." You see how he experienced wisdom holding out to him both of those gifts. This is the value of wisdom. She holds these blessings in her hands and doesn't just hold them for herself, promises to give those to all who find her. It's a wonderful statement of the blessings that wisdom holds in her hands and provides to God's people. But wisdom comes not just providing the blessings that are in her hands. She has blessings to provide in her ways. Uh, That's what we read in verse 17. Blessing in her ways. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. What do those who find wisdom find? That her ways are pleasant, they're peaceful, and they're prosperous. Her ways are pleasantness. They're they're kind and beneficial. Um, Her ways are peace. We talked about peace in that broad sense last time of that Hebrew understanding of that word that carries with it peace and prosperity. Prosperity as from the hand of God. And it's important here that we understand that these are not adjectives. The, The writer is not saying her paths are pleasant paths and her paths are, her ways are peaceful ways. Uh, These are not adjectives, they're nouns. This is what her ways are. Those who find wisdom find pleasantness. Those who find wisdom find peace. Those are her ways. Those are her pathways. That's what you find. Those who walk in her ways and her pathways find pleasantness. They find peace and prosperity before God. Because her ways are pleasantness itself and are peace itself. So she holds out blessings in her hands, she holds out blessings in her ways, and she provides blessings in herself. The last blessing we read in verse 18 is the greatest of the blessings. What is wisdom for those who find her? Well, verse 18 tells us she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. And those who hold her fast are called blessed. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. That's a big picture in Scripture, isn't it? The tree of life. Uh, That would have been a picture that would immediately come to mind to someone who knew their Bibles well. Um, Because what did the tree of life represent? It represents that ultimate blessing that Adam lost access to through his faithlessness. That tree that was there in the middle of the garden that promised life that Adam 
could, could have reached out and taken, but he chose to take from the other tree, the tree that was forbidden him. And by doing that, he lost access to the tree of life. He was barred from the garden so that he could not reach out and take the fruit of the tree of life. That would, that would fill their minds immediately as Old Testament people when they heard that image of the tree of life. They would be reminded of that reality. And this passage means us to think back to Adam. It means us to reflect on Adam. It does it by a very subtle but helpful way. Um, you'll notice that this passage in verse, or the verse in verse 18 ends, those who hold fast to her are called blessed. Uh, that's the same root word for happy we saw beginning verse 13. So what it's telling us is verse 20 and verse 13 ought to be read in light of one another in closing this passage. And if we, if we read verse 13 carefully, we would see that it doesn't say blessed is the son who finds wisdom. It says blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And what it literally says in Hebrew is blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Um, now, why do I say that to you? Just to prove that I've done my homework and I looked at my Hebrew uh, before I got up to preach this sermon? No, there's an importance to that because the Hebrew word for man is a man you know, is a word you know, and a man you know. What is the Hebrew word for man? It's Adam. Adam. So if we read this, if we read verse 13, it would read like this. Blessed is the Adam who finds wisdom and the Adam who gains understanding. Here too, it didn't need to be repeated. I think it's repeated for a reason to get that in our minds to help us to make that connection with the tree of life and to make us reflect on that man who missed it. That man who didn't grasp it or take hold of it. The man who looked at the two trees, one that represented God's wisdom and one that represented his own wisdom, and he chose the one that represented his own wisdom. He didn't trust the Lord with all his heart. He leaned on his own understanding and he fell. He made the wrong choice and he lost the tree of life. He lost that tree that symbolizes healing and everlasting life in fellowship with the living God. And what can we do as we come to wisdom and come to that same image and that same figure living as we do on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can recognize that the first Adam who lost access to the tree of life, a second and final Adam has come who's opened the way again. That was the hope of the Old Testament. Ezekiel saw a vision in Ezekiel 47 of a, of a coming glory that would come to God's people where the tree of life was there and its fruit was for food and its leaves were for healing. There would be a time of restored glory. And we know living as we do on this side of the coming of Jesus Christ that Christ is the one who comes and brings that glory, who opens that way to the tree of life that Adam lost for God's people. And then when he comes again in glory and when he brings the heavenly Jerusalem down with him, what is there in the heavenly Jerusalem? The tree of life. Right? Think of Revelation 22, 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the city, of the, the street of the city. 
And also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The weight of that tree that was shut to mankind on account of Adam's sin is open to us again by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Adam lost by taking of the forbidden tree, Christ regained for us by climbing the forsaken tree. By climbing the accursed tree of the cross, he, he made it a tree of life for us. We now have access to that. But is there some hope of that tree of life between you know, the paradise lost and the paradise to be regained when Christ comes again in glory? Well, what's the, pro- the beautiful promise that's given to us here? Those who take hold of God's wisdom, they take hold of the tree of life now. They lay hold of the tree of life now. Here's another commentator that's helpful. The tree of life that was lost in the garden and will be regained in glory can be enjoyed in some measure here and now when a man walks with God. Until we reach the tree of life in the paradise of God, we hold on to the life-giving wisdom of Solomon and more importantly to Jesus Christ who has superseded him. Human beings regain that tree of life by humbling themselves and receiving the words of eternal life by faith in Christ. We lay hold of Jesus Christ by faith and we hold fast to him every day of our lives. And what do we do by doing that? He is the wisdom of God for us. He will be the tree of life for us. Healing and eternal life restored in fellowship with our God. And those who do that will be called blessed. That's where happiness is found. Regaining the tree of life and the healing and the fellowship it speaks of. That's what it means to be happy. Everyone who does this, verse 18 reminds us, will be called happy. Will be called blessed. Um, And it's very specific here. Each and every one who finds it will be blessed. That's the wonderful good news of this passage. But yet there's one more value to wisdom that we briefly have to touch on. Verses 19 and 20 which some people think kind of fit funny here, don't really seem to fit into place well because it seems to go a whole different direction to talk about Lord as creator. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. How does this relate to the value of wisdom? It promises us that wisdom will produce fruitfulness. That wisdom produces fruitfulness. And it goes back to that great moment of creation. And highlights for us not just the power of God that we often see when we look back to creation. But it highlights for us the wisdom of God in creation. That it's by wisdom God did everything he did in creation. That wisdom is how he formed what he formed. Um, By wisdom and understanding and knowledge, he made all that is made. It reminds us that everything God made is good. Not just an expression of his power, but an expression of his wisdom. That it's, it's good in all its parts. 
Everything he made was good. It was made with a good purpose. It was made with a good design. It was made with a good end. Everything about it was good. And what is, what is this passage reminding us of? That was done by wisdom. By the Lord's wisdom, by the Lord's understanding, he did these things. He fixed them in place. There's a lasting work that's established by wisdom here. There's attention given to the fact that God founded these things. He established these things. They're firm and they're fixed on account of his wisdom. Um, that, that's clearly seen in verse 19. The earth has been founded by wisdom. The heavens have been established by understanding. And the first part of verse 20 is also making that same point. It's a little less clear. Uh, what does verse 20 say? He broke open the waters. What is that a reference to? It's a reference how God took those waters and separated the upper waters from the lower waters and then separated the dry land from the seas and worked to break open the waters until you had the heavens above and the earth beneath and the waters below. It's, a, it's again a reference to his wisdom in creation. And what is it saying to us? What is, what is the point of all this? Look at all that God has made by his wisdom. With wisdom as his tool, look at what God has made. And look at how God maintains in a lovely way the things that he's made. From the great work of founding the earth, establishing the heavens, breaking open the seas, down to the dew that gathers on the grass in the morning. Here again, we're blessed in that their climate was a lot like our climate. So we can see, and boys and girls, you've probably walked out in the morning and seen dew on the grass. We know why that happens. It's hot during the day and then it cools off and the wind brings in the moisture from the coast and that moisture falls on the grass. And when you live in a place that doesn't get a lot of moisture, you really depend on that moisture falling from the clouds. And what that was a reminder of, and what the writer of Wisdom is doing, what the father is trying to do for his son is say, the same God who can break open the nothing and make it everything is the same God who can water the grass with the dew. He does things that are lasting. He does things that are lovely. He does it all by that same wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And what is the purpose of saying that to us? It's to say, if God, by using this tool can do such great things, then the things you're called to do, you can do too by the Lord's wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Because we all have callings. God is the great worker, but he made us in his image. He made us to be workers. And he gave each of us callings to take care of. And we have callings as individuals. We have callings in our family life. We have callings in our work. We have callings in school when we're students. Uh, We've got all these different callings, and they all present us with a lot of challenges. We're all facing challenges here. Individual challenges, family challenges, work challenges, school challenges. There's not a person here who's not facing the challenge of trying to live in the image of God as his creation in this broken and fallen world. And what does God hold out to us as a promise? You can be fruitful in my service by that same wisdom that I formed the earth with. That I make everything lasting and lovely. You can do your work and face your challenges in life 
with that hope. One more quote. If the Lord with wisdom as his tool accomplished the wonders of the various phases of creation, setting the earth on its foundations by splitting the primeval waters and setting the heavens in their appointed place and watering the earth with dew from its clouds. Think what his revealed wisdom will do in the lives of those who find it. Never forget that the glory of God's sanctifying work in Jesus Christ is not just that he takes away the pollution for your sin, but that he replaces it with a new governing disposition. A disposition of good. A disposition to walk with him. Sanctification is the restoring of the image of God in us. And what's being held out as the value of wisdom is this same wisdom that produced so much fruitfulness in the hands of God. Will it not produce fruitfulness in the hands of those who follow him? who are made in his image, who work for his glory. Just as God's wisdom made and maintained this world, so his wisdom will empower his workers to serve him and his neighbors, to be fruitful in his service. That's why the father says to the son, son, you cannot value wisdom too highly. It promises happiness. It provides blessedness. And it will produce fruitfulness in his service now and forevermore. To him be the glory as the God who gives such wisdom. Amen.